You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazers Podcast, and I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. On this show, we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation of leaders. And today, I am, <laughs> and I know you're like, every time I say this, I am crazy excited, but I'm literally jumping out of my chair, of my house, for the interview, the guest we have today. I mean, one of my, my biggest role models, and shoot, let me get to a little bit of his bio, because this is crazy. He was a past SGA president of North Carolina a State University, where he graduated with his degree in engineering. Um, he's worked for Google as a sales operation account manager. He's a graduate of Loyola, Loyola University of Chicago, where he got his MBA in international business. Um, he's currently the global operations manager of Agile. And as we dig into this story, you'll realize how significant this stuff is. I mean, worked for Google, got his international MBA, works at one of the biggest, biggest growing companies in, 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 the, in, the, in, the, in the space he's in as a global operations manager at 25 years old. So um, without further ado, everybody welcome Wayne Kimball Jr. to the show. Hello, everyone. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Um, I'm excited to be on the show today and excited about the uh, the culture and the, the change that we're going to bring forth to our generation. Woo! I'm excited, too, man. So before we dig into your background and everything else, I want to kind of let the audience know how the show really roll out. Uh, first part of the show is uh, introduction background. We take a deep dive into our guest, featured guest story, where he come from, his rationale and what he does now. The second part is more so actionable advice or anybody that's trying to get into certain industries, and we're going to talk about um, that story. And then the third phase is the future, and we're going to talk about the future plans and, and, and everything around that because I'm a big proponent of uh, planning and really being intentional about where you want to be and how you're going to get there. And then our last round, our favorite round, the round that everybody sticks around for is a culture change round where we ask a series of questions to kind of get his methodology of his mindset, what he reads, his daily practices, and some tips and resources that we can use every day to build the business and the life we love. So let's kick it right off, Wayne. Tell the audience, tell the world about you and what you currently do. Okay, um, I'm currently the global operations manager for um, Agile One Incorporated, which is a company in the Act One group owned, operated, and founded by um, Janice Bryant Howroyd, another Aggie alum. Um, and and I chose to uh, come to Agile One after graduating with my MBA, um, especially on the heels of being a, a, a former employee of such a large conglomerate company like Google Incorporated, which was an invaluable experience. Um, but I I chose to go to Agile One because I wanted to be at a smaller company, but also I really had passion for the work that they are doing. Um, Agile One falls within the um, staffing and recruiting industry, um, particularly the entire Act One group of businesses does uh, versus, you know, they, they do um, trap. They have travel agencies. They do law enforcement staffing. They do staffing all across the world. But Agile One Incorporated um, is actually the technology company that falls under um, the group of companies that does HR technology. So we have uh, all proprietary technology um, and it is minority owned. More so every day, our job is to help people around the world get jobs. And I think that's what's most exciting about my job is that we don't just help um, find companies 
help companies find people, but we help people find jobs that, that are really meaningful and exciting to what they're going to be doing. We help drive down the unemployment rates around the globe. Um, meanwhile, doing it with meaningful technology that we own and, and we, aren't, we aren't using someone else's technology. So it's just so exciting to be um, at a company where I can see my direct impact, the work that I'm doing, how it impacts the society around me. But more so, um, what humbles me most is that uh, Janice Howroyd, the, the founder, CEO, um, she is from very humble beginnings, um, like myself. I'm from a very small town in um, eastern North Carolina called Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina. And, um, you know, very small town, only a couple stoplights and flashlights, you know, uh, <laughs> a, a, a Walmart, you know, a Sonic drive in, a Little Caesars. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and Janice is from just, you know, an hour down the road. She's from Tarboro, North Carolina, but she's a young lady that had a vision, came to A&T, and after she graduated from A&T, she had a vision to start a company. Um, and over 25 years ago, she started that company, and, and now it's a multi-billion dollar company, and um, it's still privately held. She's, you know, it's been offered to be bought out by other larger companies and she remains true to her values and to her her humble beginnings and and she wants to keep it a family-owned business and you know that those are the reasons why you know you have to find your passion in life and you have to really find um, what you want to be invested into and I can honestly say that I love the work that I do not just from global operations and engineering and business but also the work that I do with helping people on a day-to-day basis man that's that's powerful. That's huge. Just so many takeaways already that we could take away from that. But um, before we kind of dig in, because I want to dig into the personal story about Wayne Kimball Jr. Not 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 before all the glory. I want to dig into your journey. But before we do that, we're gonna start this thing off with a quote. Because anybody that knows me and Wayne knows me very well, uh, I'm I'm Mr. Quote Guy. Every morning I send him a quote, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it gets the motivational ball rolling on your day, and it kind of gets the positivity jumping. So. I'm going to get the floor to Wayne. I want him to share a quote that he lives by that he does every day in his life and give us a story about it, how he uses it. Okay. Uh, one one that I hold very near and dear to my heart, and, and some of you may have heard it before, and some of you may just say it's very simple. Um, but something I tell myself all the time is that the impossible is only the impossible until you find a way to do it. Ooh. And why not make that you? Why not make it today? that you're the person that that changes the impossible to the possible. And the reason why I live by that is man like every day I challenge myself to be better than I was the day before. Um you know and I just really push myself and I'm like okay well there are other giants in the world, you know, not just the Gandhis and the MLKs, but the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the, you know, Larry and Sergeys, and, you know, the people who have just been revolutionary, the Steve Jobs. And I'm like, okay, well, today it can be Wayne Kimball Jr. Today it can be Greg Hill. Today it can be whoever is listening to this podcast. And so just keep that in mind and believe and know, um, regardless of what your spirituality may be, just know that the impossible is only the impossible until you find a way to do it. And why not make that you today? Oh, wow. Powerful, dog. Powerful. So give me a story recently or recently or growing up where you really live by that statement. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there are just so many. But um, growing up, like I said, I, I've given you just a preview to, you know, the small town that I grew up in, the humble beginnings. Um and, you know, growing up, I, I I was, you know, one of the smarter kids in my class. But, you know, it, it was always very, 
interesting to me when I would go to summer camps and I would learn about some of the other places that other kids were from and, you know, the lifestyles that they lived and all this type stuff. And, you know, it was never a point where I was envious or I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to have that or I have to do that. But it did create a sense of drive in me that I was like, okay, I want more and I believe that I can have more. Um, and I, I've just always tried to build on the legacy that was built for me. So um, my my dad was first generation college graduate in his family. He's the only one out of all his siblings that went to college. And he was a farm boy um, from the country. And just seeing how he persevered, you know, like him telling me stories of like when when I was growing up, son, you know, we only got one pair of Chuck Taylors per year. And if a hole got in the bottom of those, we were going to put a piece of cardboard across the bottom and we were still outside playing ball. We were still walking to school, you know, and, and to hear those type stories, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And now I have the opportunity to go to college. Now I have the opportunity to have Jordans and all these other nice shoes, you know, and, and so that pushes me to be above and beyond. Right. Because I want to do bigger and better things than my parents did. But I also want my kids to do bigger and better things than than I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that's why I continue to to really push myself. But but going back to where I was uh, with the stories, you know, like coming from those humble beginnings, I always wanted more, and never did I think that I that a little boy from a small Eastern North Carolina town would be able to get into a boarding school. But I end up going to boarding school in Durham, North Carolina, um, the North Carolina School of Science and Mathematics. And let me tell you, man, for someone who hadn't seen very much out of the confines of, um, you know, North Carolina and, you know, different parts of, of the Eastern North Carolina corridor and the Mid-Atlantic corridor, um, you know, to be in a place in Durham, North Carolina, where I'm studying with the smartest people from across the state and just, you know, doing high value engineering research as a as a high school student. And then that just propelled me to do bigger and better things. Um, the the summer after my high school summer, I was an intern for the North Carolina Department of Transportation, which was unheard of for someone who was on their way to college that didn't even have a semester under their belt in college. Um, <laughs> And 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 so the the story that it is is you know my mother is also a graduate of North Carolina A and T and she always said growing up like you know oh I I believe you can be SJ president A and T no no honestly I I didn't even know I was going to A and T early on in my life but um you know she always said oh you should be SJ president A and T I believe you can do it yada 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 and um, when I was at science and math. Although the experience was extremely remarkable, one of the experiences that I'll never forget is that I ran for SGA president. Um, And I was coming from a small town where, you know, like if you were smart, you know, you kind of could do what you wanted to do. Right. And SGA was easy and stuff in that area. And, you know, I was the big man on campus. Then I got to the boarding school and um, I had one of my first major losses in life. And um, I I lost to uh, what actually one of my good friends and someone who I still respect a lot to this day. Um, I I didn't win SGA president, but I didn't give up the hope and and you know at the end of the day I ended up going to ANT and I made it my goal that before I walked across that stage on May 7, 2011 that I'd be student body president and surely enough God showed favor and it, it happened. Wow. Wow. That's powerful, man. Like I I'm I'm so excited about doing this interview with you today because I really don't have to do anything. I just ask a question. I don't have to frame anything. I just ask a question and you're just going to give the the perfect answer to me because anybody from Anybody from any type of background, whether you're from a college student right now or a middle school student that doesn't have a father, doesn't have a family, or from a small town, or if you're in, in college, whatever, you can all draw from that story because 
You started just a country boy. Your dad, your, your dad's dad was a farmer. You're from <laughs> the country, and you just said, and now <laughs> look at you today at 25, being able to work for Google, which is arguably the number one company in the world. Now work for one of the top minority-owned institutions in the world, and you're only 25 years old. Like this, you cannot make this stuff up. And knowing you from where you come from, and if you get it, if anybody has a chance to meet Wayne or knows Wayne, you would think that his dad was. Um, freaking the morehouse president or something like that like wayne is the most polished guy <laughs> since freshman year like since freshman year the most polished most strategic most guy ever and it's just crazy how from where he came from and and, and how he get that and it all gets starts from his parents and his parents didn't come from um outrageous backgrounds but they instilled the things like hard work discipline the importance of listening and all those things he took into account and applied to his life and then life just took its course. So, um, Wayne, I'm, I'm excited again to get get into the story. So, before we kind of talk about um, Agile One and, and, and Google International NBA, walk us through A&T, Wayne. Walk us through our, your high school career and some of the things that you did to prepare yourself to where you are today. Okay. Um, well, yeah, like I said, I, I ended up graduating from um, – NCSSM, um, science and math in Durham. Um, and I, like I said, I had done research at Drexel University, done research at A&T, um, even in high school. And then I worked for DOT. Um, I actually ended up getting a full scholarship to North Carolina A&T where I studied engineering. And uh, my freshman year, you know, I was involved in SJ, but I didn't run for an office. So I was involved by being an intern and an assistant to the vice president. And um, I served on the freshman class executive board because I really wanted to focus on my grades. And and the, the message I'm trying to send here is that you can still be involved. You can still do things that interest you, but keep your focus on what's ahead of you. And at that point, you know, I'd never been in college before. So my focus was my grades. And um, surely enough, um, even as an engineering student, by the end of my freshman year, I ended uh, with a 4.0 GPA. And um, so I knew that I was positioning myself well to, to try to be successful um, and, and as great as I could be in college. And so that spring semester, I said, OK, now is the time I've, I've set up a solid academic foundation to stand on the next four years. So I'm going to run for sophomore class president. Surely enough, I ran for sophomore class president. I, I won the election. I had a very successful term. Uh, my sophomore year, I was initiated into the Beta Epsilon period chapter of uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, where um, I had the humbling pleasure and honor of, of meeting up with 16 other extraordinary gentlemen um, like Gregory E. Hill. And um, and then, <laughs> you know, I, I decided to run run uh, for, you know, junior class president. Um, again, I won. Again, a very successful year, doing a lot of great stuff on campus, really empowering our students, working very closely with the administration. And then um, at that point, you know, I really was very prayerful about my next steps and, and things like that. Um, and at that time, I, <laughs> I was telling myself I wanted to go to law school. You know, like, oh, yeah, this engineering kid wants to go to law school. Great. And uh, so I, I went ahead and ran for SGA president. And um you know, I there were some bumps in the road. I ended up getting disqualified, um, but then you know, petitioned it and got back on the ballot, and and I was successful. 
And um, I, I won, and it was actually one of the most incredible years of my life, um, not because I was SJ president or not because um, I had the title and you know the prestige or not even because it was something that my mother had always you know had the for the foresight to say that I would do it. But more so, it was it was about that I could really feel that I was standing on the shoulders of giants and I was moving our campus forward. And that's why I named my administration. Instead of naming it the Kimball administration, I named it the Sankofa administration um, because that's a word from the um, Akan language in, in West Africa that means to reach back to your past to create a benevolent knowledge to successfully move forward, to create change. And um, I, I just felt a sense of being. I felt a sense of purpose that year because um, I was I was doing things on campus and just helping um, the, the campus move forward. I was helping students. I was helping empower our administration, really being that liaison between the students and administration. And it was just a, a great year. Um, and then, like I said, you know, the, the year just prior, I thought I was going to law school. And then um, during my term as SGA president, um, I knew some people at Google. I invited them to campus because students were interested in launching Gmail and Google Apps at A&T. So we got Gmail and Google Apps launched. Um, and surely enough, that turned into a full time job offer for me at Google Incorporated. And um, the summer following my graduation, I moved to uh, California, where I began working for um, Google Incorporated uh, as a technology operation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I, I sit here today before you um, just as a humble servant of, of the kingdom that I um, subscribe to. And, and I, I'll say that I take no credit for anything that has gone on in my life or is going on in my life. It's just been, um, you know, a, a great God ordering my steps and I just continue to follow after him. Um, but yeah, like back to the story. I mean, they so long story short, I end up applying. You know, I did interviews like six interviews. Um, they flew <laughs> me out, did in-person interviews, got the job. And like I said, that summer I moved to um to California to start working for them. And I, you know, their original offer to me was um to be the technology operations specialist in HR. And I just remember when I got that offer and I was like, they want me to work in HR. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I, I don't want to work in no HR. Um, but surely enough, you know, I was doing, I was on a team with other engineers, um, IT and technology consultants, um, and, and software developers. And we were basically responsible for, um, building the processes and the workflows for HR, as well as building all of the software and internal systems that the HR department would use. And let me tell you, um, that's why I tell you young people and young professionals, you know, never, turn down offers or never turn down opportunities just because the face value doesn't seem like it's that exciting. Um, because one thing I can tell you is that at first I was like HR, but surely enough, like most days I didn't even think I was in HR. I thought I was working for the IT function of HR, which is exactly what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I learned so much stuff in that. Um, and, and I particularly tell young people who are preparing to graduate from college or preparing, um, to get jobs and go into the workforce is to never overthink your first job because your first job is to build character and is to prepare you for all the many things that are to come in your future. Um, and so if you turn down certain offers, you probably will be short cutting yourself short. Um, but like I said, needless to say, I kept doing that. I really enjoyed it. And then I said, um, you know, a great company like Google Incorporated, I wanted to see the business side of the company. Um, 
because I knew I was interested in doing a business degree on the graduate level. So I decided that I wanted to, um, you know, move to the revenue generating side of the company where I could learn the business functions and how we make money, how we continue to grow and things of that sort. Um, and that that new role took me to Chicago, uh, which was another incredible experience. Um, everything from work all the way down to having to survive in negative 12 degree weather and feeling good. <laughs> Filling your nose hairs freeze and all of that good stuff. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was just a great experience all around. Um, and then the company um, began to do some internal changes, um, and and I was also preparing to go to grad school. I'd already taken the GMAT and GRE and started applying. And um, and at that point, I thought it was a great opportunity for me to go back to grad school <laughs> because uh, some of my mentors would tell me that, hey, look, if you if you spend too much time in corporate, you're never going to want to go back to school. But if you go too early, then it won't benefit you. So I thought I was at a good place where I would be able to benefit from the um, – the the MBA um, experience, but also such that I would be able to invest into the MBA experience and to my future. So uh, surely enough, I decided to go to Loyola University of Chicago um, because of the outstanding curriculum that they offered in the international business sector. I knew that I wanted to continue doing uh, global work um, and even working for an international firm at some point and maybe even living abroad. And many of the other institutions um, that I won't name, um, but you know, that may be ranked in the top 25 or that may be your Ivy Leagues, they just weren't at the cutting edge of offering um, uh, international MBA where you could actually live and study abroad. Many of the other schools, the large schools, you, you may go to another country for one or two weeks per year of your graduate studies, uh-huh. But um, the the program that I did, it was actually globally immersive where we would have to live and study in each country that we went to for at least five to six weeks. Um, And that was just an incredible experience because, you know, it forces you out of your comfort zones. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're going to live in a hotel on a corporate trip for a week or two. No, this is we were living in, um, you know, basically apartments having to cook our own food do our own laundry you know learn some of the local languages find our way around town learn public transportation you know go into the business centers and the finance districts and shaking hands and meeting high power people like it was the entire gamut of what international business is because um, to be successful in international business you have to know the cultural norms the traditions the things that you aren't supposed to do the things that you are supposed to say, um, you know, all of that type stuff. So just being able to spend that time um, not only studying in Chicago with my cohort, but also studying in um, in Spain and South Africa, uh, Chile, China, Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, did a Wall Street residency in New York. You know, so it was just so (laughs) well-rounded. And, you know, like a lot of people sleep on schools that aren't highly ranked or different things like that. You know, Loyola is ranked in the the top uh, 75 in the country. And um, it just it gave me the experience that I really wanted. And I feel like the program and the university invested into me. And I feel like I was able to give something back to the university just as I did at North Carolina A&T. Um, so with that said, I'll get off of that and, I, and I'll move forward um, to our next step on on Agile One if you're ready. Yeah. yeah. And I want to kind of dig into uh, one one thing out of that one. That's just amazing. That that really is, man. Like the the international experience, and I'm really a big believer, and I think you are as well. Of honestly, 
I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond first. Absolutely. Starting off, being a big fish and where you're at. That's why I went to Auntie. It's probably why you went to Auntie as well, because you are immediately able to be thrust into leadership roles that you might fail in, that you might not do good at, but get that experience so early. And then now, so say, let's walk through, say 10 years, boom, boom, 20 years down the line where you need to be making those executive decisions. You've already had all those experiences because you didn't have to go to the top dog. You said, no, I'm going to take advantage of every single experience at this part right here because it's best for me. Because I remember... A while ago, I was talking to you about this was before I even left corporate America and just seeking advice. And you said, "Gee, I understand you ask you you thinking about going in a lot of directions, but what's best for you? Not right. what's best on Forbes, what's best on USA Today, not what would make you look good, but what's going to work with you." So, um, I really took that in consideration. It's crazy how you applied it to your life because you probably could have went anywhere. Your resume was Sterling Wayne, but you said I did my research. And this program offers every single thing that I need for my career where I want to go. And then you went and took that faith. And I want to talk, if you can give us one story about your international experience um, while pursuing your international MBA that our audience can kind of take away from to kind of to give us a perspective, put us in your shoes about some of the things that you learned during that life-changing experience. Okay. Okay. I think one of the most um, life-changing experiences is when I went into um, Soweto, which many people may be familiar with, whether it be from the World Cup a few years ago or from um, the the major coverage of um, you know different events that have gone on in South Africa. Um, particularly the death of Nelson Mandela because he was from Soweto. But when we were there, I had to do a a small business consultation in Soweto. And by small business, we're talking micro enterprise. I mean, this is like smaller than small business in the U.S. And the the business that I had to do research on and had to go consult the um, client on was it was a guy who had a TV shop and it was probably about a eight by 10 space, eight feet by 10 feet. Um, and he had all of these old record players and TVs and VCRs. Um, I, I don't even think he probably had a DVD player in there, uh, more or less a flat screen TV. Um, but this is a guy who had all his life had been working in the trenches. He got the opportunity to um, upgrade his career and get a job at Toshiba. Um, because Toshiba had a manufacturing plant in South Africa. So he worked at Toshiba, did not have a degree, but he worked at Toshiba as a technician, a low-level technician. He worked there for like five years. And this guy who was the poorest of the poor in South Africa, in Soweto, left a job with a world-class company, Toshiba, after five years, because he had the vision, he said, I want to, I don't want to make and sell new technology. I want to help the people in my community and the people that are poor and were poor like me to have technology. So he created a, a technology shop where he would take old 
TVs and record players and VCRs and things of that sort. And he would fix them and, you know, bring them back to working order. And then he would sell them for low cost to the community so that other people that were poor like him in his community would have the opportunity to really see what a TV was, to see what a VCR does, to have a record player, to have a CD player. Um, you know, things that we would consider completely out of date or that we would just take to the goodwill. He was taking and fixing and, you know, helping his community have access to those things. And, you know, my consultation to him was because he was trying to figure out how he could get funding um, for his small business. And, you know, this is probably going to knock some people off their chair. But, you know, when we think of small business funding, we think of going to a Chase or a Wells Fargo or um, Bank of America to get a $25,000 loan. But all this guy needed was $700. Wow. He needed seven hundred dollars to continue to keep his business going. And um, surely enough, you know, our, our cohort was able to consult with him and another local tire shop and, um, you know, a, a lady that was owning a grocery store. And these were people that were poor in Soweto, but they were small business owners. So my story to you is, number one. Never count again. I'm gonna say never count yourself out because you can do it. The impossible is only the impossible until you do it. And also, um, you know, to count your blessings and to take heed of the things in front of you because there's someone else around the world that is less fortunate than you, but they're not making excuses, they're making it happen. Ooh, having a great, great time thus far, man. And give us a before we kind of get into the future round because this one we're gonna, gonna get we're gonna get you to summarize currently today. Uh, and I think you've done a great job thus far. Agile One, a billion-dollar company, and you are the global operations manager at 25. Walk us through, A, the feeling behind that, and and, and, and B, how are you really going to leave a lasting impact on the company in this position the way you want to do it? Okay, great question. So um, the feeling that I get was just very, very humbling um, because there are so many other people they could have hired for this role um, that were probably more qualified and had more um, experience in the industry than than me. Um, so, so that was number one, humbling. Um, but two, it feels great to be able to really leverage your background because I'm doing global operations. And, and mind you, I have an engineering degree. So that's where that operational and thought um, process comes from that problem solving, you know, analysis type format comes from, and then the the global operations, the global business side is is that international business degree that I have. So really understanding um, that you have to do business in every part of the world in a different way. There's no cookie cutter um, format. You can't take everything that, that works in the U.S. to other countries. Um, so I think just being in that setting is great and having the opportunity to really do something I, I really enjoy and that I'm passionate about. Um, that's the most exciting part to me. Um, and then leaving that lasting legacy, um, it, there is nothing like being at a company at the height of its growth and expansion. So I am just so like just thrilled to be at the company at a point where it's growing so much internationally um, and I can be right in the midst of the growth. I can roll up my sleeve, get down in the trenches and not only help do that, but I can learn so much from it. And that's the message I want to send to the young people is um, you know, sometimes you have to wait your turn to get great opportunities. But when those great opportunities come, Life doesn't change overnight. You still have to learn. You still have to yes. be willing to do the small work. Right. And one thing I can say, that's that's one of the biggest things that I've been doing over the past month is really humbling myself 
to do the work that is needed to be done so that I learn the industry, that I learn the company, that I learn our clients, I learn, you know, our stakeholders, because that is what's going to propel me to the next level, not as a promotion, but it's going to propel me to the next level when it comes to understanding the market and growing as a young business professional, um, because stuff like that doesn't come overnight, even with having the title. So I think, um, you know, that's the point I want to leave with young people is that even when you get great opportunities, when you get elevated in your career, get elevated in life, you still have to humble yourself so that you can listen and so that you can learn what you need to learn from those particular experiences and opportunities. Man, that is powerful. Let's make the transition to the next round, man. And before we enter the culture change round, we're going to talk about the future. And I want actually, we're going to change a little bit today because I think we already kind of painted that picture. I have two big questions and then we're gonna go. We're gonna gotta go into the coach change round. You cool with that? Absolutely. Let's get it. The two big questions I have is one: If you had to tell Wayne Kimball Jr., knowing what all you know now, something ten years ago, what would you tell him? Uh, um, I think I would definitely say, if I had to tell myself something. Um, today is to just stay true to yourself and to not be deterred by the obstacles and the roadblocks, but to just view them as medals of honor, as as battle wounds, you know, and, and as part of your story. Um, I tell people all the time, man, that, you know, you are nothing without your story. And that's why I just love how you're building this podcast around stories. Um because I think sometimes, you know, it's so easy to say, oh, when I get knocked down, I get right back up. Or if I fall seven times, as long as I get up eight, I'm good. Um, I think those things are great to say. But, you know, in theory, however, um, you just really have to stay focused, man. And you, you just have to persevere through the storms because there will be some sleepless nights. Um, there will be some tear shedding. Mm. There will be long days, early mornings. Um, there will be some times where you, you face opposition and you just do not know how you're going to climb over it, crawl under it or, you know, get around it. But you have to. Um, and I think that just goes back to the comment I just made um, a few minutes ago is, Look, instead of making excuses, just make it happen um, because there's somebody else that is making it happen and they're they're figuring out a way to get around those roadblocks, those stumbling blocks, um, you know, those obstacles that may come in your way. So just don't be deterred. Uh, remain steadfast and, and just keep persevering. Mm. Mm. That's huge, man. That's huge. So let's get a little deeper, man. <clears throat> Gosh, man, I because I, I always do this every time and everyone's like, oh, zero to 100. That's what we're doing. Um, we all know that at the end of the day, there's going to be a time where we're no longer here on this earth. And I have to, uh, and the question I'm asking now to preface that is when your time is done, when you're, when you're no longer here, what legacy do you want to leave behind? Um, the, the legacy that I want to leave behind, I think so many business executives, you know, they and, and business professionals, they leave behind their companies and, you know, innovation or, um, you know, MLK left behind a legacy of justice and, and freedom and equality. But when it comes to Wayne Kimball Jr., um, I really, really, really focus on empowering 
people around me. So I always think of it as enabling and empowering people um, because I don't want people to say, oh, he was global operations manager. This guy worked at Google. He was SGA president. Oh, he graduated MBA. No, what I want people to know and to focus on is that Wayne gave his life to serving humanity, that he was trying to help feed the hungry, clothe the naked, um, educate the illiterate, um, and, you know, to just support the people and support humanity, not just minority communities, but, you know, people of all walks of life, um, because everybody in life has a story and everybody in life deserves a fair chance. They deserve an opportunity to air their story and to have the best story possible. Um, and we can go into to education and the education of the mind um, in, in another podcast, but I just really believe that education is the key and that everyone should be, um, you know, have the access that they need to be successful in life, whether that success, like MLK said, whether that success means you're mopping a floor, whether that success means, you know, you are getting a PhD or, you know, whatever you do, be the best at whatever you are. And I believe that I um, am, am really given so much of my life into helping people be whatever the best they can be. And that's why I love being, um, a speaker and that's why I love working alongside you and doing podcasts and different things like this because um some people just just want to know that they're relevant that they're significant and that they are worthwhile and I think that um you know you have to continue to show people that they are those things and that um their contribution to society is needed and necessary mm. I have another word I have nothing to say on top of that man. let's take it to the culture change round man rapid answer rapid fire I got five questions. Hot off the press. You ready? Oh yeah, let's let's go. What is the best piece of advice you ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received, I would say um you know, uh, my mentor would always tell me and my mother would always tell me too, you know, from Socrates, the unexamined life is not worth um looking at and you know, to just if do to others what you would have them do to you and you know live a life that you would want people to look back on mm. deep what is one of your personal habits that you can attribute to your success i would say um having great character good time management and um being great at networking and leveraging opportunities. Huge, huge, huge. What is your favorite book outside of the Bible and why? Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to get close to the Bible. Um, <laughs> shout out to the Enders family who gave me this book for my MBA graduation, but it's a book called The Richest Man That Ever Lived, and it's by Stephen K. Scott. Um, and it's a book. It basically ex um, tells how you can be an awesome business person and business professional by um, just living by the book of Proverbs in the Bible. And it's an awesome book. I definitely recommend it to anyone. Um, and so I guess I kind of already answered why I love it, but um, it, it really breaks down the book of Proverbs and just shows you that how, you know, many, many thousands of years ago, this book was written. Um, you know, the book of Proverbs was written and you can just go back and read that. And if you just follow those things, then you would just be successful in whatever endeavor or life work that you do. What inspires you and keeps you motivated? 
I would definitely have to say, and I know this is going to sound slightly cliche, but I would definitely have to say my family. Um, and I say that because I'm from a very blessed family who is uh, well educated and, you know, has done a lot of good stuff in the church and in sororities and fraternities and just in the community at large. Um, and the reason why they inspire me is because I believe that I have to continue to set the bar higher and higher and higher for future generations um, in my family, but also within the community. Um, and so I can't let my family down. So they continue to push me. They continue to support me. They continue to love me um, even when times get tough. And, and that's what really, really continues to push me. If you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? I would have to say I'd really continue focusing on um, education on all levels, K through 16, um, and, and really helping make college education affordable. Because I think we have to, and I think this is why the, the culture change agent and the, you know, really helping society's mindset um, is needed because the president can't do these things alone, right? Because society in America just doesn't appreciate it the way they did 40 and 60 and 100 years ago. So first of all, we have to change the mindset around that to get people to understand education more, why it's important and appreciate um, education. And then we have to make it affordable and accessible so that people can take advantage of it. Um, because I think a lot of people are getting discouraged from going to school because they are saying in their heads, well, A, school isn't important to me. Or B, why go to school when um, I'm going to be in debt the rest of my life? Um, or why do I need to go to school when there are many people that didn't go to school and they're super successful? And I know people that did go to school and can't find a job. Mm -hmm. So I think that really focusing on education and its accessibility and affordability is really important. And then um, blending that over to our job market, really uh, continue to build jobs and a workforce that is available to people who um, you know need jobs the most. Gotcha. Amazing answer. Amazing answer. So. Let's wrap it up on this one, all right? And all right. We always say uh, my moniker is the culture change agent, and we know how important it is. So, but let's dial it into um, the African American community, our demographic. Okay. So, if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African American culture, what would it be, and why? I would have to say that I would want to change people's reactions, responses, and just overall how they perceive situations. Um, let me dig a little bit deeper on that because I know that sounds very high level. Mm -hmm. But um, it just bothers me that people in our society – particularly in the African-American race, um, feel that many things are acceptable today. Things that wouldn't have been acceptable many years ago. Um, I, I think that's the first thing. And then I think that we have to begin um, focusing that around crime, education, spirituality, um, and there's so many avenues that we could focus on. And the reason why I say that is because 
you know, I'm going to be slightly provocative here for a moment. You know, we talk about the Mike Browns and the Trayvon Martins and, you know, different things of that sort. And it's great to march and it's great to advocate. But I'm more so for making the African-American mind more agile such that they can focus on, okay, let's not just look and make this a race issue, but let's look at what we could have done differently. Let's look at how we can live our lives differently. Mm -hmm. Let's look at just really thinking about well, if we were in church as much as we used to be as a as a race, if we were, you know, focusing on family time and and the the foundation that strong fathers and and you know diligent mothers play in the lives of building not just children and a family, but the the, the role that they play in building a community, a society, a legacy. Um, and then I think about you know, so we've talked about church and education and family, but just being respectful. Um, it, you know, I just wish I heard, you know, please and thank you and, you know, uh, holding doors and respecting the chastity of womanhood. Um, I just wish I saw those things like I used to see even in just 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But I wish that it were how it used to be as I see it in documentaries and movies from the 50s, the 60s, and even before. It's those things that we have to get back to the basics on. And I really wish that I could change the mindset on that. And that's why I look forward to continuing to work with Gregory E. Hill, the culture change agent, on making some of these things happen. Salute to you, my brother. Salute to the positive things that you're doing in the community. And I look forward to working with you. I look forward to speaking on sets with you and on panels with you. And however I can be of service to you, please reach out to me. I'm humbled to have been on this podcast. So thank you so much um, and continue kudos to you and all the things that you're doing. Absolutely. You can always go to WMKJR.com. And if you need any more information from things we share on the show, be sure to check out www.greggyhill.com. If you want to be on the show, send me an email. Send me an email, all right? So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Man, I'm excited to release this thing. And remember, one thing, one thing only. Don't forget, change the culture. Good night.